Our scripture for today comes from the book of Isaiah, the 11th chapter, the first through the ninth verses. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch, branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the, sh the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all of my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I want to start this morning with a story told by one of my favorite, favorite preachers and storytellers, a man named Fred Craddock. It comes from a moment that Craddock was taking part in a conference at Clemson University in South Carolina, and he says, I lectured there, preached in the morning, lectured in the afternoon, and again in the evening. In the evening, before I gave my lecture, they had a young woman give the devotional. I didn't know her, didn't know her name, didn't know who she was. She was a young woman, I would say in her mid-twenties, pale, blonde, straight hair, thin, no makeup, soft voice. And she got up there to have the devotion, and she had one of those legal-length yellow tablets. And I thought, well, we're here for the night. Everybody has one sermon, you know. Her voice was low, but I'm sure I'm right in saying she was speaking in another language. And then she spoke in another language. And then she spoke in another language, and then she spoke in another language. I don't know how many. I didn't keep count. But what she was doing was saying one thing in the different languages of the world. When she got to German, I thought I knew what she said. When she got to French, I thought I knew what she said, but I really knew what she said when she got to English. The last time she said it, and I suppose she said it 60 or 70 times, one sentence, one sentence, the last one English, she said, Mommy, I'm hungry. And then she sat down. Craddock says, I thought about it all the way back that night. I drove back to Atlanta. I had to teach the next day. The first billboard that I saw going down the highway, going in the north side of Atlanta, the first billboard I saw was this, all you can eat, $5.99. I don't blame them, all you can eat, $5.99. There it was in my head, mommy, I'm hungry. Fred Craddock. 
Today, we might want to change the line from I'm hungry to I'm sick. Listening to Craddock's story makes me think about all the corners of the world where COVID-19 has touched people and how many people in dozens of different languages are reaching out and saying, I'm sick. 5.3 million confirmed cases as of this morning. And some of those people around the world have access to the equivalent of an all-you-can-eat buffet with the best medical care possible, and a lot of people do not. And even for some, the best medical care does not alleviate their severe suffering or even prevent death. I just need to say it out loud again today that the world is suffering. We talked about that a lot a few weeks ago when we considered the word lament. And even though we're here in the last week of this sermon series, Words to the Wise, the, the fact of uh, people's suffering hasn't changed really at all. In fact, there's more people now with a burden of grief. There's more people worried over loved ones. There's more people who have filed for unemployment. There are more people struggling with isolation and anxiety. Our world is continuing to go through a trauma, and some of us are bearing a terrible burden, and I don't want to forget it. I just, I don't want to forget that. And while I'm remembering all the ways that people around me are suffering because of this coronavirus, I also want to keep yearning for a world that is different, a world that's better, a world where people have what they need and are cared for, a world that is at peace. That's our word to the wise today, peace, peace. Now, if you think about it for a moment, these things are actually a little hard to hold together. It's much easier, you know, to just pay attention to our own small world, to kind of turn our backs on the suffering of other people, especially if that suffering doesn't immediately impact us. And if we do that, it can keep us feeling pretty positive and pretty happy as long as our little world is one that's stable and good. It's a coping strategy that we have to use sometimes to only pay attention to the goodness of our little world, but if we do it forever, it becomes a kind of cop-out. You know, it's harder It's a lot harder to stay open to the world and all its hardships. But if we manage to keep our eyes and our ears open to the cries of others as they're in pain, we have another danger, and that is that we can easily start to descend down into despair, to let the grief and pain that we see as we look at on the world begin to give us a dark vision of the world so that we only start to expect suffering and trial. The hard part for us is to be attentive to the suffering of others and yet hold on to hope. It's the harder road, but that's the road the Bible asks us to walk. Scripture asks us to have eyes that are open to the suffering of other people and yet hold on to the hope inside of us that the suffering of the world isn't the final story, that the world is not destined to misery. This is what the Bible helps us do It's what Jesus asked his disciples to do. It's what Paul asked his churches to do. It's what the prophets of ancient Israel asked their people to do over and over again. See the reality of the people around you who are suffering and also hold on to the promise of God that the world will one day be different. That's the task of our faith. Our passage today is one beautiful moment when the prophet Isaiah holds these things up for us. He, he talks about a day that's coming when the world will be at peace. And it's a vision for the world that helps us remember how the world is far from that right now. 
It gives us a picture of the way God wants the world to be. It's a beautiful poem there in the middle of Isaiah. It's often called the peaceable kingdom, and it's been used in art and music over and over again through the ages. Now, the prophet Isaiah, he was not struggling with COVID-19, of course. He was longing for peace because his country was at war. Isaiah was a prophet clear back in the 8th century BCE in Judah, that southern part of Israel, including Jerusalem. He was a prophet for a long time, like 30 to 50 years. If you care, I'll have you know that in the year 735 BC, Syria and Israel ganged up on Judah in what's known as the Syrio-Ephraimite War. I suspect you don't care about that at all, and that's fine. You can just forget it right now. Forget I even said it. But that is Isaiah's context, right? That's the war. That's what he's thinking about and dealing with. His country is under attack. Isaiah was in this place deeply longing for peace. So his word is a word of hope to people who are really struggling. His picture is a vision of what God will do, a promise for the future to a people who are stuck in a very hard present moment. And this is what Isaiah says. First, he says there's going to be a leader that will come. And that person is going to be all the things that we would ever want a leader to be. It's going to be someone that comes from the family, the lineage of David. That's what it means when it says the stump of Jesse, a shoot will come. Jesse was David's father. So it's going to be the family tree of the great King David. And this coming leader, they are going to have all the wisdom to rule in all kinds of things with justice and with fairness. They're going to be successful in all their diplomatic and military endeavors. They're going to be righteous. They're going to be pious. They're going to be faithful in their relationship to God. They're going to be such a good leader that even the poor and the meek will have all the protection they need. But it's not just going to be good leadership that's going to make the world an amazing place. Isaiah's picture is a picture of peace for all of creation. He talks about the whole world being freed from violence and tension and pain and suffering. Peace is just going to radiate everywhere. And so for Isaiah, this means that farmers and shepherds, that they wouldn't have to worry about the wilderness destroying their property. So he says wolves are going to lie down with lambs and leopards will lie down with goats, and lions will be at peace with cattle, and and all these vulnerable animals will be safe from their predators. Children are going to play in the safety of snakes. They'll put their their hand over the adder's den and not get bit. In fact, nowhere in God's kingdom will animals or humans hurt or destroy other life. And he says the knowledge of the Lord will flow, as one translation puts it, ocean deep, ocean wide, across the whole earth. This is what the prophet says God has in store for the world, which sounds amazing, and it sounds kind of hard to believe. It can be hard to believe on a good day, let alone in a time like this, when we're surrounded by so many stories of struggle and pain, when our own lives are so disrupted, even after 11 weeks when, since this pandemic began. I mean, we're still every day asking questions like, is it safe to go see my family? Can grandkids and grandparents hug each other yet? How long before our choir can sing together? How do we keep people employed? And a million other questions that are confronting us each and every day. There's a pretty big gap today between Isaiah's vision of the future and our day-to-day reality. And yet, and yet faith asks us to step over that gap. 
Faith offers to step over that gap for us so we can at once live here in the reality of today and hold out a vision for tomorrow that's full of peace and well-being. And I do want to say that Isaiah's picture of the peaceable kingdom is his. And if you want to think about peace for all creation with some different images and examples, then you go right ahead. Isaiah is talking about shalom. He's talking about this Hebrew word that, that means a complete sense of wholeness and well-being for everyone. And you can let your imagination take hold and come up with your own vision. Perhaps your peaceable kingdom will make sure that no one is hungry again or there's no more illness. I, I like to imagine a world where political fighting has just stopped, where we all miraculously come to agreement about what is good for all. I like to imagine where there's enough for everyone, where we don't have to fight over resources anymore. And I like to imagine a world where we're not harming the earth, either by trash that we put in the oceans or pollution we put in the air. I like to imagine a world God's peaceable kingdom where no one has billions of dollars in the bank while other people are homeless. So you envision it however you want to or need to today to describe, to describe that peaceable kingdom, but no matter how we do it, we realize there's a gap between here and there that faith asks us to step across. Well, how do, how do we get across that gap? How do we do it? Well, we just do. We just take that step. How's that for fancy preacher advice this morning? <laughs> just do it. We stand here in reality and we hold on to that vision of God's peace for the world in the time that is to come, and we trust faith bridges that gap for us. It works. It does. It really does. Someone that helps me do that is a person named Julian of Norwich. Ever heard of her? Probably not. So I want to take just a moment to tell you about her because she was a remarkable woman of faith at a time when women of faith did not get much credit in the world. She was a monastic in the 14th century in England, and she is, in fact, the first English-speaking woman that we can rightly call an author. So the first book ever written by a woman in English was written by Julian. It's a book called Showings, and it was based on a visionary or a mystical experience that she had in 1373. Julian lived a very unusual life. She was an anchoress, which meant that she lived in a tiny room that was attached to the outside wall of the church in Norwich. She locked herself in that room in order to devote herself to prayer and spiritual reflection. I mean, she never left the room. Some of us might feel like we're being anchoresses right now, but she really never left that room. She had people that brought her food and water, and, she, uh, and they intended to her other needs. She stayed in that little room attached to the outside of the church. Now, the room had two windows. Okay? One window looked in on the church so that she could participate in worship and receive Holy Communion, and the other window looked outside onto the world, and people would come by, and they'd talk to her, and they'd ask for her advice. So she wasn't isolated, right? She had relationships with people, but she lived inside that cell for at least 20 years. She didn't make this life up. She wasn't the only one. This was actually a spiritual practice that you could find all over Europe in the Middle Ages. It was an answer to the question that people were asking, how do we find God? And their society was turned upside down in the 14th century as well. They had twice suffered the Black Plague. They, had, they were suffering from the Hundred Years' War. They had seen a bloody peasant's revolt over taxes. 
Uh, they were dealing with serious controversy inside the church. In fact, so much so that for one point, for a few decades, there were three competing popes. So if we ever think our church is a mess, they had it much worse in the 14th century. Julian's world was full of conflict, it was full of poverty, it was full of suffering, and she decided the best thing she could do was to live the simplest life possible, and so she went into her small room and focused on loving and praying to God. Now, I'm not going to make that choice. You are not going to make that choice. But that's what Julian did, and despite the difficulty of that, she had a pretty positive outlook on the world. She wrote about God's deep and abiding love, and a key part of her theology came from this moment when she imagined meditating on a hazelnut. And she said about this, that, that God showed me this little thing, the quality of a hazelnut, lying in the palm of my hand, and it was as round as any ball, and I looked upon it with the eye of my understanding and thought, what may this be? And the answer, generally, thus, it is all that is made. And I marveled at how it might last, for I thought it might suddenly have fallen for nothing, fallen to nothing for littleness. And I was answered in my understanding, it lasts and ever shall, for God loves it. And so have all things their beginning by the love of God. In this little thing, I saw three properties. The first is God made it, the second is God loves it, and the third is God keeps it. So Julian is imagining a hazelnut in the palm of her hand, and she says, it's so little, but it actually stands for the whole world because from this tiny round nut grows a great tree. And then she says that just like for the hazelnut, for all of us, God made it, God loves it, and God keeps it. God made it, God loves it, God keeps it. And later on, she wrote uh, about this deep understanding of God's presence and God's love. It meant that she knew, regardless of what was happening around her, she said, all shall be well. This is her great proclamation to us, a proclamation about the saving love of God, a statement that God is going to make things right one day, and we can endure whatever as that's unfolding. It's a belief in the peaceable kingdom that Isaiah promised. Julian said, all shall be well, all shall be well, all manner of things shall be well. That's Julian's gift to us today. That's the mantra of faith, that faith that's bridging the gap between where we are and where we know God wants the world to be. All shall be well, all shall be well, all manner of things shall be well. It sounds simple, but it's powerful. It is. Just try saying it with me. All shall be well, all shall be well, all manner of things shall be well. Let's say it again. All shall be well, all shall be well, all manner of things shall be well. It's a proclamation of belief in Isaiah's vision. A mantra about the power of salvation given to us through Jesus Christ. A statement of belief of God's will for the world. That God's will will be done. All shall be well. All shall be well. All manner of things shall be well. So what if tonight, as you're going to bed, before you drift off to sleep as... All the worries of the day and the day to come are rolling around through your head. 
as you're feeling that distance between here and God's peaceable kingdom, what if before you fell asleep you said this to yourself, all shall be well, all shall be well, all manner of things shall be well. What if tomorrow morning, first thing when you get up, you look at yourself in the mirror and before you start launching into the tasks for the day or dealing with the anxieties that await you, what if you just looked at yourself in the mirror and you said, all shall be well, all shall be well, all manner of things shall be well. We don't say that to deny the reality of the present. We say it to remind us about what's coming, what God has in store, what our final end will be. All shall be well. Thanks be to God. Amen.